Welcome to the Second Success Podcast by Dr. Rakesh Rana, the Clear Coach. Getting clear on the mindset for repeatable success. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Second Success Podcast. I'm Dr. Rakesh Rana, the Clear Coach. Today's guest is Kashif Khan. He's the Chief Executive Officer and Founder of The DNA Company, where personalised medicine is being pioneered through unique insights into the human genome. He is also the host of the Unpilled podcast. Growing up in Vancouver, Canada, in an immigrant household, Kashif developed an industrious entrepreneurial spirit from a young age. Having lost his father to illness during his mid-teens, Kashif had to grow up fast. Self-made, learning from the University of Life, from entrepreneurs, learning what he needed to learn. Prior to his tenure at the DNA Company, Kashif advised a number of high-growth startups in a variety of industries. As Kashif dove into the field of functional genomics as the CEO of the DNA Company, it was revealed that his neural wiring was genetically designed to be entrepreneurial. However, his genes also revealed a particularly sensitivity to pollutants. Now seeing his health from a new lens, Kashif dove further and started to see the genetic pathways that led to his own family's challenges and the opportunities to reverse chronic disease. His measure of success is not in dollars earned, but in lives improved. And in this podcast, he talks about what drives his innovation and creativity and going against the norms and breaking rules. So let's hear what he had to say in this conversation I was able to have with him recently. Hello and welcome to the Second Success Podcast. And today I have with me Kashif Khan, the CEO of the DNA Company. Kashif, thank you for joining me. It's great, man. All the way across the, uh, we're in, what are we, like seven, eight hours from you? I don't even know how far it is anymore. Where are you? So first of all, I've got to understand where you are because you're a bit of a jet setter. Are you currently in Toronto? We're in Toronto, yeah. So you'll be five hours behind me at the moment for me being in London. So we're five hours at the moment. So uh, okay, it's, cool. uh, I know. But um, it's a bit of a jet set lifestyle. In fact, I should say, um, initially met uh, two or three weeks back at the biohacking conference in Los Angeles. So that was a bit of a trip for me, uh, eight hours behind and a bit of an 11 hour flight. So <laughs> a bit of a distance for you too. Yeah, no kidding. And speaking of jet setting, since you're on the topic, I went back to LA, I landed in Toronto, went home and four days went back to LA. Wow. Because I went on this interview of Tom Bilyeu, Impact Theory. It's an amazing show. Yes. Uh, you know, and so I had to go back for that. So anyways, my head was spinning after that one. I can imagine. It takes me a week to get over jet lag. So I can only imagine <laughs> what you were going through. And I saw that on your social media. So that's something I'm going to be looking forward to. In fact, though, Tom Billy, I do enjoy his uh, interviews and some of the work that he yeah, does. Okay. Yeah. But coming on to you, Cash, um, the reason I wanted to get you on was in a very short time. And in, when, when I say short time, I think you were on stage for about 20 minutes. Uh, doing a Q&A with Dave Asprey at the Biohacking Conference, and then a very quick chat with you, you left a very indelible impression upon me as somebody that actually reminded very uh, reminded me very much of myself and in right. how I like to treat people and how I want to be seen, really, and, and just in a very authentic person. So that's something I've just got to say right now, that, you know, most people I've interviewed on my podcast, I've known quite well, yeah. You I haven't, and yet I just feel I have this affinity towards you. You may not have the same towards me, obviously, but I just find that I had to have you on my podcast. Oh, thank you. That's nice to hear because so there's this, you know, the, avoiding getting jaded. Right? It's very easy to get there, mm -hmm. but there's also, uh, I mean, I, success comes from being humble. If you're not mission driven, there's only so much you can do. You know, if it's about money and fame and all these other things, you might get them, mm -hmm. but you're not going to be happy. You know, you'll be happy if you when you're working on your mission and you're actually making impact and that requires being humble and 
amongst your peers, right? So yeah, of course. Takashi, I mean, that's a realization maybe I got later in life, definitely. I guess that's probably not something that you grew up understanding or believing. Was it a chase for you? No, well, I grew up extremely poor. Let's just say that. Mm -hmm. So my dad, funny thing is, my I lived in Vancouver, mm -hmm. which was going through an economic explosion while I was growing up and going to school. And I seemed to be the only person not experiencing it. So everyone around me was like living this amazing life, property values to the roof. But my dad was sick which is partly what drove me to do the work that I do. Uh, my whole sort of childhood, I only knew him as being sick. Okay. He was always had cardiovascular problems, diabetes problems, never, he wasn't able to work properly. And so we were extremely poor. And um, I think that in itself, you know, gave me so, and I'm almost thankful that I went through that because mm -hmm. of how much I value everything that I get and what I'm working on. You know, when I see even the wastage of a grain of rice, it, it hurts me at a level that I can't explain. You know, so that allow that trans that translates into my work. It's just you, 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 that's the foundation of who I am is, you know, having to sort of survive, right? Okay. How did you get through those difficult days? If you don't mind me asking, you know, especially when you're younger, you're looking at your peers. What what got you through it? It was it was a, a little odd because the rest of my family was really well off, so I would go visit my keep in mind my dad did do well until he got sick. Okay. Right. And then he just, and he also mentally he kind of gave up. He was in and out of hospitals always. Sick. So mm -hmm. he just, kind of gave, and then my mom also got sick. Okay. Right? So she also wasn't working. Uh, and so I would see success all around me. My uncles were, you know, they were extremely successful. My cousins lived growing up on that. So I would mm -hmm. see it. It was kind of like a weekend warrior of this fake life of living in money and then coming back home to the reality. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I didn't see anyone that was smarter than me. Mm -hmm. I didn't see anyone more driven than me. I didn't see anyone more capable than me. Why can't I have that? Okay. And the thing that was blocking me from it was just, I, I saw it as kind of opportunity, will, and health because I saw what I saw in my dad, right? So, mm -hmm. so I ended up creating myself opportunity and I just, I, I worked so hard in my early twenties that I think I gained several decades of experience and knowledge in a few years mm -hmm. and was a play, able to apply that. And so it just, uh, yeah, it, it, that it was really a blessing to see that. And I don't think I would be doing what I am today if I didn't go through that. Okay. I mean, I must admit, a, a common theme I've seen through with a lot of people I've interviewed is that their success or perceived success has come about from necessity more than anything yeah. else because they're, they, you know, they're looking to escape from a life that they've had, which... Yeah. You know, we always say we would never wish that upon anyone, but I'm sure there's a lot of people I've also spoken to who will say, actually, I would never replace that because I'm the person I am today because of that. Yeah. So when we're dealing with patients or clients that are coming in with mood and behavior or mental health challenges, mm -hmm. the place I like to go is context. Because typically there's the acute, I'd say five to 10% of people that actually have a problem meaning that they have a clinical problem that may require medication or some kind of therapy, a good 90% to 95%. If you recall, you weren't born with anxiety, you weren't born with depression, you weren't born addicted. Mm -hmm. Something happened later in life that caused you to express what really should have been your superpower as a burden or a crutch. Yeah. And speaking to the example you just gave, so this context of need, poverty, you know, struggle forced me to achieve and pursue a reward. 
I'm wired for that, by the way, genetically, I'm wired to not experience pleasure and reward like the average person. It's hard for me to actually feel it. Mm -hmm. And the neurochemicals also clear really fast. So it doesn't last long enough. So now case in point, my cousin died in his late teens from what I still don't know, you know, hundred percent because our family doesn't talk about it, but what looked like a suicide. Mm -hmm. We were very similar in nature. The difference is he grew up in a mansion with the silver spoon, everything fed to him as much as he wanted yeah. and nothing in life gave him pleasure or, or sense of reward. And mm-hmm. so you have three outcomes potentially is what I had was achievement because this inability to feel pleasure or whatever drives you in that direction. So you start to find reward and you achieve and you achieve or mm-hmm. addiction because you go down the pleasure route or depression because you just don't do either and you just don't feel so mm-hmm. he was kind of a mix between addiction and pleasure uh, depression and so look at the difference in outcome we are we were pretty much the same person personality wise you know yeah. we inherited the same sort of cognitive genes because of our context yeah i built companies he literally is no longer with us oh such a shame in fact it was only recently i was reading that hedonic pleasure can actually impact us at a cellular level. So that, right. you know, as much as gratitude and the, the eudaimonic pleasure, you know, this long-term happiness can actually yeah. be beneficial at a cellular level. This hedonic pleasure, as much as we may be getting this gratification and this instant, you know, especially if you've got wealth at an early age, it can yeah. be detrimental because it can have that impact at a cellular level as well. So it's, it's, it's amazing information. Yeah, everything you do affects you at the cellular level, whether you believe it or not, right? And mm-hmm. If you, if you just think of something arousing, what happens? You get a little tingle, mm-hmm. right? If you think of your favorite food, you might salivate a little bit. So don't deny that your thoughts change your biochemistry. Yeah. You know, yeah, of course. every thought, everything you do, every action you take affects your hormones, your neurochemicals, uh, your toxin levels, your antioxidative capacity. Mm-hmm. Everything is constantly responding to your thoughts because your, your thoughts are that you know that driver of all these functions no oh, completely i right? i've always said um people don't believe it so for, it is mind over matter a lot of issues challenges can be resolved with mind over matter i do firmly believe that actually it's our thinking it's our outlook and reframing just i mean when i'm working with my clients a lot of the things i work on is reframing our thinking and the language that we're using so just an example people say you know they'll present problems to me straight away i'll say no just stop using the word problem use the word challenge by using the word challenge uh, problem is a defeatist word challenge is more of a a solution seeking word and you're looking at it and it's about exploration straight away this changes and your brain starts functioning in a different way so for me reframing completely changes that physiology for sure yeah for sure whether it's language even physical smiling triggers to your brain and your body something yes. very different than frowning of course. right every part of your body is constantly reacting to what every other part is doing mm-hmm. there's something uh, by we have in our system our body this ability to communicate from cell to cell so if i poke my head right instantaneously every one of my 50 trillion cells knows that that happened mm-hmm. we have no computing power on this planet that can do that Right. So the, the biophotons, as they're called, these cellular messengers that speak to each other, allow that instantaneous 50 trillion communications to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like I said, frown, smell something, hear something, say something, 
look at something, every cell in your body knows and starts now responding to whatever that was. So part of my journey is that part of my journey is I don't see the world the, the way other people see it. When I see a problem, mm-hmm. I don't see it as I'm busy, leave me alone. Mm-hmm. I see it empathetically because I've been through it. Yeah. Right. When I meet somebody like yourself, right. I understand that you, every person on this planet has the potential of providing tremendous value to everybody around them. If they really have the right mission. Mm-hmm. So why to say I'm too busy to talk to you? Right. I don't know. You, you should, I'm lucky to talk to you. Right. So the, anyways, and that thinking is what kind of molds even the culture of our company right no, now. I think that's fantastic. I always say um, somebody pointed me in the direction of a book a few years back. It was an old book called The Celestine Prophecy. Um, and the reason they told me to, to read it was for exactly that reason, because I was meeting a lot of people in my life. And yeah. I would tell them I would do an introduction or something would happen. I'd say, oh, I met so-and-so. They could be of value to you. And they said, read this book because that sounds like you. And I said, what do you mean? And once I read yeah. it, I understood because, they, I mean, the book is like a bit of an adventure book. A guy is looking for a manuscript, but essentially meets these 10 people. But the idea and the premise or part of it is that we meet everybody for a reason, whether right. it's just somebody that we've bumped into on the street or somebody that was introduced to us. There's a reason for it. And I, I firmly believe that it's about either we can provide value to them or they can provide value to us, either directly or through a connection or some way or other. And, yeah. and sometimes I say, you know, I may, may only meet people momentarily, but then if I meet them later, they'll remember something that I'd said or done. And to me, I think that's of great value that, OK, there was a reason for that. Yeah. And I just from watching this with other people, the two blockers to that that will prevent you from extracting that value are ego and insecurity. Oh yeah. Your, your ego will block you from truly giving enough to get something back. Right. Mm -hmm. And your insecurity will prevent you from opening up or providing or understanding or whatever it may be. Those are the two diseases of what separate us from people. Mm -hmm. Right. So get rid of those and you'll, you'll thrive with people. So, okay. Going back, I mean, uh, with the upbringing that you had, getting yeah. into education what kind of I mean how how early did you know that okay I want to do something for myself or did you have the typical Asian upbringing I guess yeah. you, know, you got to go down this route you got to do this was it were you pressurized let's say by family was, to go down this route because I didn't which and you know what I have never realized that until you asked me this question because I should have what happened is because I think, again, given the context of my dad didn't get to do what he wanted to do because mm-hmm. he was sick, um, he kind of allowed me to do that. He would say, go skiing with your friends. I didn't have money, but they did, and they would take me, right? Mm-hmm. He would say, you know, go take this class. Let's, let's go downtown to Chinatown and learn about Chinese herbs. Mm-hmm. I was like, why? He said, you have no idea what these people know that you don't know. And mm-hmm. we would go, and it would blow my mind, right? Wow. So part of who I am has to do with his coaching, which was go explore, go learn. Uh, And he never once ever told me or asked me what my plans are for the future. Now, problematic, the parents should provide you some structure, right? They should give you some targets to run towards. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mom did that, but he more so focused on my skills Mm -hmm. as opposed to where am I going? You have a problem communicating with people like this. You can't sell right? Uh, you're really good at this. So he always was, he was picking apart the, what my innate skills and capacity were, mm-hmm. and wasn't really concerned with what I was going to do with it. Now, 
here's the thing is I, I myself found that I had a love for design and creation. Mm-hmm. So I built an electric car when I was 17 years old and that car beat several universities in terms of its endurance, which was, oh, it was wow. a competition, yeah. right? And so I was given this scholarship to go into engineering, which is what I was planning to do is I love design and building. Um, my father then passed away, okay. right? He died when I was 17. Mm-hmm. So I became responsible for my mother and my sister and I started working mm-hmm. and I applied that creationist thinking. So what am I, what do I enjoy? Mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy working and selling and doing all this stuff. But when I, when I saw a customer realize I can create something with a build a relationship and mine them far beyond the sale or the interaction mm-hmm. and truly that's what I started doing. Wow. Um, and I started to thrive and three, four years went by and I realized that I built a business. I had multiple locations. I used to import stuff from overseas, supply interior designers. I would walk on the door of a hotel and say, your lobby is horrible. I'm going to fix it for you. Right. Like literally I was just bold. I would just go do it. Um, and, and I built a business. I had warehouses all over Western Canada. We had wow. teams in different cities. I had no clue that I had do that. I had done this by the way, as it was going along, mm-hmm. just working so hard, never taking a minute the, the day that I took a break. I was like, wow, what, what just happened? And it felt like a flash. Right? But again, that drive, I guess, one, you were f- fulfilling your reward system, creativity yeah. and design and everything. But was the other also knowing that you're having to support your mother, your sister? Yeah. It, it's, uh, so the, the, the day before that, hmm. I was a child. Yeah. The day after, I truly flipped and became an adult. Wow. And I truly accepted the responsibility, which changed the way I think. Okay. Again, if that didn't happen, I don't think I'd be where I am today. Okay. It, it truly, that that thinking that I now have to take care of them and mm-hmm. I don't want to ask my mother to take care of me. Yeah. Right. It just completely, again, going back to your thoughts, change who you are. Mm-hmm. I then believed I'm responsible for them and every, my perspective of the world completely changed. And I started mm-hmm. being a builder and provider as, a, as opposed to a consumer and a, a dependent. Okay. I say a lot of success comes down to not the individual, but you know the people that are on the journey with you and obviously with your past father passing with you at such a young age who then took that mantle who who helped you maybe mentored you and, and guided you so i a couple of things uh i went to a couple of my uncles who i said were well off mm. um and i asked them for guidance and i started learning from them while i was working mm-hmm. uh and then i asked them i think i'm good i'm, I'm learning can i can i help you with your business mm-hmm. and i did I started doing things for them that they had never thought of and started growing this and then growing that just to learn. Mm-hmm. I didn't even ask to get paid, you know, just doing it mm-hmm. uh, to learn. And that was, I think, another big uh, benefit to me is I was so much into the learning and the developing and had forgotten to even ask for the money that I truly derived the benefit out of the context. Okay, I, I can't tell you how many people when I talk to them before a project has even started, they start asking, when do they get paid their commission? What is yeah. the rate? What if this happened? Yeah. Go make a deal, right? Yeah. This isn't even real yet. Yeah. And I did that, by the way, for three years. Wow. For three okay. years. So I didn't get to go to university because I had to take care of my mother and my sister. Okay. Instead, I went to this other university of learning from entrepreneurs all of the potential problems and all of what they're good at and where I fit in the middle, what okay. I could see that they couldn't see, right? Wow. And that's where it ended up. 
So, so in terms, okay, ha- having listened to you, I've watched, look, I've, you've, you know, I've watched your TED talk, listening yeah. to you speak, I would never, okay, I'm not going to, this is going to sound a bit, I don't want to upset anybody, but I would never have thought that you weren't degree educated or you hadn't gotten to university. So right. what kind of formal education, because, you know, in the, way, the way you talk with the expertise you talk with, where does that come from? Is that life? It's, it's, too, it's, I've learned what I've needed to learn. Right. So when you go to university, if I want to do surgery, the only way I can do that is to be a licensed surgeon. And mm-hmm. the only way to do that is to go through your nursing and get a license. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but now my knowledge is restricted to whatever somebody thought they needed to teach me. Yeah. If I want to solve a problem as an entrepreneur, I'm going to dig into exactly what I know needs to be learned for that problem. Mm-hmm. And this is what we did with the genetic business and why we are thriving in an area where clinicians don't believe it's even possible. Because we don't think with their limited view with the blinders on, right? We we think in, as entrepreneurs, how to actually solve the problem less with, and we don't have the limitations of that's not the way it works. Mm-hmm. That's not what that's for. That yeah. siloed, you do your job, you do your job is great if you're a professional yeah. because it's a risk adverse modality, of course. right? Yes. At least we're not going to lose. At least this doctor is not going to screw up. Mm-hmm can't build something great without screwing up along the way no of course no of course <laughs> you know, if there's no risk where's the reward and so i took that risk and i and i and i've i self-learned so even in that first phase uh i realized my father had told me that i don't i, I don't have a, a skill of of selling and speaking to people mm-hmm. so i went and read books i read the sales books and i learned the techniques scientifically Right. But I learned what I needed to learn, not what some business degree professor thought may be okay. beneficial, which I may never use. Right. I did the same thing in science. I did the same thing in marketing. I did the same thing uh, in even speaking, even mm-hmm. presenting. I worked with a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, presenter to learn what does he do different than other people. So, Cash, so, you know, you strike me as a person that's going to go on and strive and thrive and achieve success. But like you said, you could have had somebody like your cousin, very similar. Yeah. But what makes you, you know, I love listening to you about, you know, in terms of the DNA, we're built specifically, but it's also about the environment and everything. What makes you thrive and do this as opposed to somebody else? Because I know many people who would have been in a similar situation could give up, have a lot of mental health issues, actually fall back on just actually deal with benefits where's the difference come from? What, what do you think has been that big driving factor for you? Are you I've, had I, I've had all of those. And when people see the best of somebody, they assume the worst never happened. Of right. Course. Of course. I've had depression. I've had illness. I've mm. had, what drove me to what I do mm. is I had five different doctors for five different problems, giving me five different pills and none mm. of them could tell me why I was sick. Yeah. That's why I built the DNA company. Yeah. But cash. And I guess this is what I'm getting to is that, a lot of people would accept that though, yeah, because they're the experts. Some people say, "Oh, there's a doctor; they know much better than me." So, what I guess I'm getting trying to get at is, what pushed you to go against the grain of what people so, much better qualified than you were suggesting? No, this is the way you need to do it. I think it's what you said that I was never indoctrinated by the education system. Okay, right. So I didn't believe that I. There's your place. You go sit there. Mm-hmm. Right. That, and that's, that's useful. You can't have an on mass scalable society without people doing their job. Of course. Right. But mm-hmm. that's not what an entrepreneur is supposed to do. Yeah. 
right? An entrepreneur is supposed to be the one sticking out of their silo and solving problems that other people can't figure out, the things in between that bridge these things as opposed to silo them. And so I would say it goes back to the thing that you, that you, you know, pointed to is I didn't go through that typical journey everybody did. Mm-hmm where yes, you're getting educated, but you're also getting indoctrinated. You're getting told who you are and your personality. If you meet somebody who's been walked into law school and walked out of law school, they are two different people. Mm -hmm. Of course. True personality shift. And I'm saying this from the experience of people I know. I didn't go through that. I went through, I have to do it myself. So I've always done it myself. Yeah. And so even in knowledge, I've done it myself. And so I didn't believe that I'm not allowed to have access to that knowledge or use that knowledge. Why? It's yeah. there. If I can interpret it and apply it better, I don't need a, a degree for that. And it makes complete sense to me now. And this is the thing. I, I, I you know, I've been through that. You know, the, the, my journey's been published and stuff in the sense that I was in that indoctrinated way of thinking. And I did what I needed to do because of the eldest yeah. son, typical Indian, you know, Asian growing up in the UK, that this is what... And that's what my life led up to up until I guess I became a life coach about nearly eight years ago, that my mindset completely shifted. And I've been very fortunate and privileged to be meeting people like you that have actually opened up my thinking so much. I mean, I think up until I'd finished my degrees, um, I thought that's it. I don't need to learn anymore because that's it. That's all all there is. You know, I've got, you know, I've got my bachelor's, master's, I've got my PhD. What more do I need to know? I'm, I'm one of the cleverest people there must be. So that's it. I switched off. But you, I think you realize that actually there's got to be more to life. And uh, I think it was only once I started questioning that through being coached that, yeah, I realized it was the light bulb moment that actually I don't know anything. I know, you, know you don't know what you don't know. And I knew nothing um, yeah. as much as I thought I did. I, I see that so much. It's, imagine the industry we're in, mm-hmm. we're working with medical professionals all day long. Yeah. Right. Um, and I see so much going back to what I said earlier about ego and insecurity. Those are like the two ingredients to make a doctor, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Not at any fault of their own because of how they're educated. Of course. You, you've, been, you've been entitled with, you are the one that knows. Mm-hmm. They are lucky to talk to you, mm-hmm. right? And if they come to you with some Uncle Google research or something, poo-poo on them. No good, right? Because it didn't go through the system. That is great in terms of safety and preventing somebody from hurting themselves. Yeah. It is horrible when it comes to innovation and learning new things, right? Yeah. It blocks innovation. Um, and I would say that, you know, in this work that we do, I can't tell you how many times I've said to a scientist, a clinician that, wow, what you just said is amazing. What if we did this? Mm-hmm. And you say, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. That's the thing that I go try and do. Yeah. Exact thing that they say, it's impossible you can't do that that when i know that they've been taught that you can't do that i know that's the most valuable thing for me to do oh, really? <laughs> right? and that's what i keep doing over and over and over again so okay you, you you've had a lot of success you, you've grown companies uh dna uh, the dna company right now uh, it's growing and um from my understanding there was a lot of uh, a lot of clinical trials commercialized the product to search in terms of doing a dna test so and i know briefly at the biohacking conference we uh, i think you talked a lot of people talked about different kinds of dna tests so i'm gonna s- switch tact for this right now and just want you to explain what is it the dna academy does what is it i guess this is your fruits of your labor what all of this yeah. has brought you to now What's so, it doing and why is it different different from other DNA tests that are out there? So everything you 
asked and we talked about kind of lays out the foundation for why we do mm -hmm. what we do, which is we don't think like the genetic industry. Yeah. So what we think is me going through it as a patient and having to use genetics as a tool and being completely mm -hmm. disappointed and underwhelmed and saying, you've just mined the most valuable and personal thing I have, but have told me almost nothing. Mm -hmm. You told me, hey, you got 80% chance of this, 60% chance of this, good luck. What is that? What is the value in that? Yeah. Uh, and if you talk to the average North American, they probably all have 80% chance of this and 60% chance of this. One or two people are going to get cancer. One or two people are getting cardiovascular. Yeah. Those are like the actual current stats, right? Well, but why? Why, 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 why? So yeah. what we did was in our research, our trials that you were talking about, I realized that the trial model was broken. So I hired a chief medical officer and I said, show me how we validate data so I can prove this to the world. And what they showed me, I didn't want to do. I said, I understand that this is what the industry will accept and what's required to go talk to FDA and Health Canada, but I don't want to do that because you're devaluing what we have. You're mm -hmm. telling me to go get a evidence-based, on mass, double-blind placebo, you know, one size fits all trial and error answer from something that's personal. So you're actually yeah. depersonalizing it and trying to find an average. Yeah. What is the point in that? So I said, I'm going to build my own research model, which actually will help people. So what do we do? Each individual person was an N of one study. If I can help you with your yeah. problems, what is the point of being a genetic company? Yeah. If I can't personalize it. And that's what we did. We completely flipped it. And I love being in boardrooms with investors and you know partners I'm working with mm -hmm. where the scientists are in the room to vet us. And they say, show us your research. Yeah. And I say, I don't want to show it to you. And they, what are you <laughs> talking about? They say, because you won't understand it. <laughs> right as in my research actually solved the problem if i used your modality and what you want me to show you i yeah. would be doing exactly what you do which is why you're coming to me for help no no exactly right? i was so, going to say i watched recently watched your ted talk that you gave and i think i will leave a link in the podcast description to that because i thought that gave a very clear understanding of what it is that you do in terms of that DNA in, in terms of where, how you use your own family as an example yeah. of doing a DNA test and but how the environment impacted and how it was individual for that person. I thought it was fantastic. And it was such a great lay explanation for anybody to go and watch. I thought that was fantastic. And that here's a perfect example of what I just talked about that Ted talk, um, the way that process works in this has happened to me twice now is they call you in, they say, we love what you do. Can we have you in? So I said, yeah. And then they say, can we look at your topic and what are your key bullets? What, what's the actual information you're going to provide? Yeah. Because it's medical, we have to vet it. Yeah. Right? So now, medical disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. Now they vet it. This, this yeah. school that I did it at, they're hosted in different locations, yeah. actually has a medical school. Mm -hmm. So their medical department red flagged a couple of things. Mm -hmm. I gave them the published data to back up what I said. They said, okay, this is okay. We did. We just didn't realize it applied in this way. Yeah. Once the thing actually went live, Ted, who had already approved it through their mm -hmm. process, said, we cannot publish this TED Talk. Mm -hmm. We said, what are you talking about? You already approved it. They said, yeah, those guys approved it. Then it went to some other department. And they said that you're talking about things that are not uh, published. Yeah. I said, everything that I'm saying to support the thing, if I say something about eczema, yeah. I'm not saying anything that they're the things that I'm saying are published. I just interpreted it for this. Yeah. Right? So then they decided not to run it. Mm -hmm. 
right? So exactly the same thing. It goes to some medical director who yeah. has never seen this in their textbook before that is blocking innovation. Okay. TED is supposed to be a place to share new and dangerous ideas, is so scared of sharing what's new and dangerous, even though it's scientifically supportable uh -huh. and the medical board of the university approved it, they still don't want to share it. So they blocked it from anyone attending it and I've just put it on my own page. Yeah, well, that's what I will be sharing. And I was going to say, Cash, to be honest, though, look, yes, I'm, I've got a science background, but what you talked about was just common sense, to be honest. And that's why I say, if, you, if you're a lay person, it just makes complete sense. And, yeah. you know, for me, knowing that kind of knowledge, I know if I had that information at hand, I would yeah. have used it for family members because I yeah. know that they would have benefited from it, especially to understand well, what can we change? What little dial do we need to turn up or down, as you say, yeah. could impact somebody for the positive? I think that'd be fun. very good. Yeah. Yeah. And when everybody watches it, listen and, you know, experience what you experience mm -hmm. and then ask yourself, whose vested interest is it to block this from people seeing it, right? <laughs> why? <laughs> I would ask why. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, we, I think we all kind of know, but um, I won't mention it just in case my podcast gets blocked. <laughs> up in, but anyway, um, so where next? Where next for you? What about your entrepreneurial journey? Where, where, where are you heading oh. now? Because what I, um, I guess seeing you a lot more visible now than you were before, would you say that's true? Yeah, it is true. And it's partly because I believe we need to normalize the concept of genetics, meaning that it, it's it's a part of your toolkit. And if it, you don't have it yet, you have to have it, right? Uh, and so, you know, we have a, we have a publishing deal with the, an, a, a Hay House and that book's mm -hmm. coming out in the spring. Controlled. Uh, Unpilled, what is it called? The Unpilled, remind me? Unpilled is a podcast. The book oh, is awesome. called the, the, the DNA Way. That's the DNA Way, yeah. Uh, so the DNA Way is literally my story mm -hmm. uh, and how I healed myself. It, just to give some people a context of, how they can apply genetics beyond what their doctor thinks genetics does, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so that's coming out. So really thought leadership, I think is super important right now. We need to get out there. The only way to combat people like Ted blocking information that like you said, is common sense mm. is to make it actually common. I mean, everybody has access to it yeah. and you can't deny it anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that's my role in this company is to get it out there. The other half of that answer is I don't think I'll ever stop doing what we're doing. Even mm -hmm. as a serial entrepreneur, it's hard to stick around for long, right? Yeah. But there's so many problems we need to solve mm -hmm. that the DNA company is just the hub of it. So, okay, we have a genetic test that helps us solve it, but what about autism? Mm -hmm. What about fetal hormones? What about diabetes? We know the answers to all this stuff. Yeah. We just need to integrate into the system. So now we go from testing to clinical and we're, yeah. we're working on that now. The first iteration of that is going to be a female hormone clinic. Okay. which truly will personalize female hormone health and get women healthy as opposed to this gray area of, Hey, too bad. you got hormones. You're supposed to be sick. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. No, I think, you know, for me, like I said, just listening to you, I think being on that stage, it was such a small amount of time. It was such an indelible impression on me. I thought, yeah, this somebody I want to get to know a bit more of more of the product. And, you know, I guess for me getting to the age I'm getting to as well, I think, well, you know, I'm going to live longer. I want to live longer want to live healthier as well and like i said you know thankfully i'm on a good trajectory in that sense but whatever i can use to help optimize my own health my family's health it's you know why wouldn't anybody do it you know and that's the yep. thing i don't want to be i don't want to be popping pills like i've seen my elderly family members doing it's definitely not the way i want to live and that the the interesting thing is that's truly optional mm -hmm. if you end up in a place 
where you are taking pills for a chronic disease, not something acute, not something genetic that you're born with, but a chronic mm-hmm. disease like diabetes, cholesterolemia, yeah. you know, horrible uh, menopause, endometriosis, whatever. It was because of the choices you made. Mm-hmm. You weren't born with that problem. Yeah. You didn't get that problem until your 50s. Why? Because the body's resilient. The mm-hmm. thing that you're doing, the thing that you're eating wrong, the, the lack of exercise, whatever it is, and it's different reasons for all of us, which is why genetics is important. So we find out our reason. You can do that up until around the age of 50. Mm-hmm. And then your mitochondria deplete. So by the, by the time you're 70 years old, you've lost 70% of your mitochondria. Mm-hmm. The mitochondria is a powerhouse of the cell. Yep. Your cells can't fight anymore by the time you're 50. Your hormone levels drop, right? Everything starts to age. The cells literally unravel. The DNA unravels. And then outwardly, you can see hair turns white. Skin starts to sag. That's yeah. the result. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, for 50, you look pretty good. Your skin is really nice and smooth and sharp. Oh, and like you, you can see it, you know. But, but for some people, you could put five 50-year-olds in a room. Why do they look different? Yeah, of course. All human, yeah. right? It's, it's a choice that got you there. So the truth is, and don't have, don't allow anyone to tell you any different when it comes to chronic disease and aging, mm-hmm. the pace at which you age, you're going to age. We haven't yeah, heard that course. out yet. You're going to age, but the pace at which you age and the day you die and how you die is optional. Yeah. You could not die in a hospital bed in treatment for a chronic disease. That mm-hmm. is because of the choices you made. You should die because you're on vacation and you go parachuting and you forget to open your parachute. Mm-hmm. It should be an amazing story. And you should be 110 when it happens. And you should better be riding a bicycle up Mount Kilimanjaro right before that airplane, right? Because that is what, what human potential is. Of course. Uh, do you know what? And that's success. I mean, we talk about success. You talked about seeing your uncles, you know, success, but really, you know, you, you equate that with wealth. Everybody can equate success to all sorts of things. Me personally, it is now, it, it, before it was about happiness and being joyful, which I maintain. But now success for me is maintaining that into a longer life and making sure yeah. my family are also with me, you know, on yep. that journey. For sure. You, you worked this hard for so long yeah. and you, you've got to that age where you want something back from life. You've been giving, 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 you're, mm-hmm. you're giving your time, your energy, your brain power to help other people build things and yourself. You know, we got to, we're here. Mm-hmm. So I know I don't want to get too philosophical, right? But <laughs> we, are, we are here to build a better everything that you see and hear and smell and taste right? Yeah. If we're not here to give back and build something, and, and but part of that is you have to enjoy the process. No, How are you going to enjoy the process if you're sick? I always say that you've got to achieve your goals, but you've got to fall in love with that process first. And, and that's, uh, that's something. Yeah, and, it's not work. And, that, and that's part of health, loving what you do. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't love what you do, you can probably shift the context and make it something that you love. I do. Right? Understand how, how your brain works, how your body works. You, the, your net result where you end up and that life story is truly in your control if you understand why yeah. these things happen. I know. Cash, first of all, I just want to say thank you again for being on. I Honestly, I think I could speak to you for hours because there's so many topics yeah. I would have loved to have explored and talked about. May need to leave it for a part two. Um, but first of all, I, you know, I want to thank you for sharing your story and actually personal elements of your story as well. So thank you for that. And um, like I said, I'm hoping the listeners uh, and viewers will also enjoy it as much as I have. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Kashif Khan, CEO of the DNA Company. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And um, looking forward to interviewing more guests on the Second Success podcast. And if you haven't already, 
please be sure to subscribe and do share it with others if you think that they may enjoy it too. I'm your host, Dr. Rakesh Rana, The Clear Coach. And until next time, bye-bye.